Welcome back to A Farther Room. As always, we appreciate you listening. We've got a good episode for you today. I hope everybody is staying safe and healthy as much as possible during this weird, difficult time we're in as a nation and as a world. Today's episode is an interview I did recently. There's a lot of good stuff in it, and I think that you will benefit from listening. Without spending a bunch of time talking about it, we're going to get right into it. So here is the interview starting now. Today, joining us on the podcast is April Jones. April is a pharmacist, an author, and a speaker. She is an oncology medical director in the Nashville, Tennessee area for Pfizer. She's the founder of the Drifted Drum Company, and her book is called No Mess, No Message, Finding Strength in Struggle and Purpose in Pain. April, thanks a lot for doing this. I'm really glad to have you on here. Thank Um, you for having me this morning. It's always a a pleasure uh, to talk to friends, especially ones that have a a podcast (laughs) and uh, to share a little bit of my story. I read your book. I took notes. Um, Allow me to start us off with a quick review. Probably my favorite thing about the book is your relatable and approachable writing style. Um, You discuss in a very visceral and honest manner some things that have happened during your life some things that have helped shape and mold you into who you are today. I can feel, I can definitely feel your analytical side come out in the discussion. And you make an effort to look at things through many different angles, which I like. I think that helps contribute to the end product, and I appreciate your your core message in the book, lots of good perspective and perspective is something I'm always up for. So a job well done on your book. Thank you so much. Um, it was really important for me to, um, you know, if I was going to, to take the effort and, uh, really put forth something that I thought could help other people that it had to be, you know, it, it had to be meaty. It had to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, what's the purpose? You can pick up a lot of books that have really good advice in there. And so I didn't want it to be just another book with with good advice. I wanted it to be something that really resonated with people and um, opened them up and kind of shook them a little bit on the inside to where they would be willing and open uh, to see things from a different perspective. Yeah, it does that for sure. Um, you, you spend some time early in the book talking about your upbringing and about the town in West Tennessee where you're from. Would you tell us briefly, if you would, just a little bit about that town in kind of your basic backdrop as a child and as an adolescent, like what things were like growing up in that area? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's funny because I I was born in the big city. So um, my parents didn't live there for very long. My dad was from up up north for, uh, you know, his childhood and then um, had moved to rural Tennessee um, I guess probably when he was, um, you know, in his adolescence or, or when his teen years and, um, and my, but my mom for the most part, you know, grew up in, in Tennessee and, um, she didn't want to be that far away from my grandmother, you know, having a new baby and being in a city where she didn't really know people. So, um, they moved here to rural Tennessee and, um, really, you know, when I was before I could walk or talk. So it's all that I knew. Hmm. And, um, you know, so I grew up very close to family and cousins. I spent, you know, most of my days when I was younger in that, you know, that type of family environment. And, um, 
and I, and it's it's interesting because as you grow, you know, and you, you start to socialize and develop other relationships, um, when you're in a small town, you know, you you really only see a certain amount of opportunities or people or you know it's it's a, it's a different view of life I think it's mm-hmm. a little less um, you know it's, I think it's it's a little uh, definitely a little less diversified but um, you know just in terms of exposure and understanding like what types of opportunities there are in the world and and also what types of things ha- you know happen to people like at you know also about adversity like when I um, you know, when I had Tyler and my oldest son and, and he was first diagnosed with cancer when he was young, at that point, I, I didn't know any other kids that I knew of that had ever had cancer. So, um, you know, I think your view tends to be a bit more, um, uh, a, bit, a bit more linear. It's, mm-hmm. you don't really get to see a lot on the periphery when, um, you know, you're, you're not exposed to a lot of other people or, or environments outside the one that you're in. Well, what you described is, is something that I think a lot of people can relate to. You know, it's like middle America, sort of flown over country type setting. Um, and it kind of segues into one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, when you look back on it now, how do you feel like growing up in that area affected the person you are today? I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit already, but for bad or for good, would you, would you go back and change anything or are you happy with how things turned out? Well, you know, I, uh, I would say definitely there are some bad and good. (laughs) Um, I, I can't say that I, I have any regrets per se with, you know, the way that things turned out. I, I'm glad that I was able to to learn and grow from those experiences. And I think that, you know, everyone deals with their own set of issues. So if I were in a different environment, you know, my learning and my experiences would be, would just look different. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we all have to go through that process of self-discovery. And so that just happens to be the way that mine looked. And I think, you know, it took me a little longer to, um, it took me a little longer, I think, to maybe figure out who I was or where I was supposed to be. Um, because, you know, like a lot of my friends and, and not that, you know, it's not a bad place to be. I mean, I, I still go back and visit. I still stay and very close to several of my friends who have stayed in the town that I grew up in. And that's good and to they keep are, in touch. They're, yeah, there you know, there's really there are some some good people like people that are are still my my dearest my my best friend, you know, is still there. And in a lot of ways, our life looks very similar. We have kids that are the same ages. We have husbands that went to high school together, and we're friends in high school as well. And you know, we we he has a job in in medical, and you know, like. Um, she works for the post office. Billy's a police officer. You know, like so we have like we have very kind of parallel lives. But uh, and and I wouldn't say that that hers is better than mine or mine is better than hers. But it's definitely different still. And um, you know, I would say that um, for me in particular, I feel like that I really allowed for a long time you know, perhaps what other people's opinions of me um, define, you know, the way that I felt about myself or who I was or, you know, in that journey of trying to figure out, um, you know, what I wanted to be or gain self-confidence, I I really didn't picture what life could be like, you know, outside of that town just because it was an unknown world. And so I think that the more that I exposed myself, you know, went to college, kind of be brave and kind of step outside of that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. The more I saw that there, there is a world outside of there. There's, there's oper- like, you know, there's different types of careers. There's, there's people that grow up in all different kinds of environments with different perspectives and even different religions. And just that you, there's so much to learn and absorb as you expose yourself to those 
other environments and other people. And I really enjoyed that so much. So what I got from that small town is definitely, um, you know, I'm appreciative of the experiences that I have now, but I still also love a lot of those people and a lot of the memories that I have from there as well. And, you know, me and Billy met there. So like, our, and our families are still there. So, you know, like the foundation of where we started still is kind of rooted in that mm-hmm. in that place. You just transitioned perfectly to the next thing I was going to bring up with you, and that's when you read the book, one person that stands out is your husband, Billy. Uh, there's no mistaking how big of a role he has played in your life um, when you read it. How how old were you when you met him, um, and how were things early on in your relationship before all the change started happening? Um, yeah, I was only 16 then. Um, he's three years my senior, so, you know, we were kind of in a little bit of a different place already. You know, like, I was still in high school, but I was going to graduate early, so... Um, you know, I was getting there and I guess they, they say it's, it's not too, you know, too uncommon for, for girls to mature faster than boys or, you know, like relate to people who are older than them. And, Mm -hmm. and I, um, you know, we, we definitely hit it off right away. I would say that, you know, like we were young for sure. And, and so we were together for about three years before we got, we actually got married. We got engaged almost right away, but then we, it was three years before we got married and then we had Tyler very quickly. So he was Mm -hmm. unplanned and, um, you know, so, you know, there was a a certain amount of things that, you know, like I think it's also challenging when you're from the same area um, and you are young, like you both have like relationships and things like that with other people. And so I think if you're not, grounded in who you are, you know, on both sides, there could be things like jealousy or, you know, like you can just be petty or whatever. And I think, you know, the, a lot of those relationships when you are that young, whether it's a, a spa, like a boyfriend, girlfriend, or whether it's a friend, you know, it's easy to get caught up in like a drama instead of really thinking about the substance and long-term consequences of the things that we do or the things that we say. And um, so for us, you know, having Tyler, early, like I was 19 and, um, or I just turned 20 and, um, you know, it, it really changed our relationship in a lot of ways because we realized, oh, you know, like, (laughs) yes, we've been together (laughs) for the long haul so far, but like, this is a completely different ball game. And, um, you know, (laughs) it, it definitely made us appreciate each other a little bit, you know, more for sure. And, and kind of come together more as a, a, a solid unit um, rather than just two people like, co- you know, like supporting each other, but coexisting. Like it, we really had to become one at that point, like the decisions that we made, the things that we did. And then, um, you know, when Tyler was diagnosed with cancer, then it really, we really kind of almost became our own in our own bubble because, you know, like, that's just, it was such a trauma and it was the way that we kind of had to deal with it. And so we've grown a lot and, you know, over time, like I think all relationships ebb and flow, but, you know, at this point we've been together (laughs) longer than we've not. And, um, you know, I am just so appreciative of him. You know, he's, he's uh, really my best friend and we support each other and we've went through our own like career changes and, just, um, you know, how interests change or, you know, determining the, the things that are important, like, you know, where, where do we take the kids to church or, um, you know, like, where do you want to live or, you know, like those major life decisions um, that we have to make as a family that impact not just us, but the kids too. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm very thankful and blessed that that's been, he's really been a partner for me. It sounded like your personalities kind of complement one another well, just by a lot of the stories that you told told in the book. And so it, it seems like you're really kind of built for the long haul when you're able to either bring each other down or pick each other up at the right moments. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like I've been very um, blessed to have that, that we can, you know, be what's missing when we need it at the moment. This is a, a little bit off topic from your book, the the content in your book, but it's something I thought of asking you when I was reading. You know, a lot of people nowadays, they get married later in life. You know, statistically, mm-hmm. people are, with passing time, couples are getting married later and later, and they're having kids later and later. There are a bunch of reasons for that, and that's, you know, a whole different discussion on its own. But would you tell us what, you know, what it's like being married early in your life? You know, if there are any listeners out there who are considering getting married at an early age or just curious, you you kind of outline some of the challenges that you all face. But if you had any vi- advice for people or were able to lay out pros and cons, just having that type of commitment early in your life. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's kind of funny that you asked that because, um, you know, our oldest now is 18. And mm-hmm. so that's not very much, you know, that re- we were already in that like committed relationship by that point. And I was 19, you know, when we got married. And so when I, so, you know, these conversations come up with Tyler and, you know, my advice to him is, you know, <laughs> it's not, I, it's, I think it's very, it's person subjective in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. I, but I will say that um, regardless of how old you are, I think the most important thing is um, how well, how well do you know yourself and what you want in your life? And, and I think that at that age, you know, everyone changes some from, you know, that, that time of, especially like, I think during college and those years where you're you're figuring out what you're good at, you're figuring out, you know, maybe where you want to go or what you want to be, you know, what you want in life, uh, whether or not you want kids early or later or, you know, I know that life throws all these curveballs, but it's where you're starting to kind of draft out a plan essentially. And um, so I think that it, you know, it really depends. It's, it's a, it is work for sure. I'm thankful that my experience has been what it is because as I look back, I have, you know, I, I have this person in my life that really, you know, shares all of those memories with me or, or, you know, like it's just so natural now because he's just always been part of my life. And I feel like we've kind of gotten to a point where it's not as much work, you know, because it's, uh, we're just, we're family, you know, I mean, that's mm. basically what it is now is that your family is not this person that you've chosen, but it's like, you know, this stable, yeah. um, partner that you can count on. It's, it's like, you know, just like you would expect a parent to be, you know, like that stability. And so I think that, um, I was, I was really glad to have that in him during that period because, for me, I was still kind of trying to figure out some of those things, but like I knew I had this person that I could rely on. I felt like at that point. Um, and yes, the relationship still does take work. You know, you're not always going to be in the best mood at the same time, or you're always, you know, one might be struggling with something that the other's not, or, or sometimes you just aren't feeling it, you know, but I think that for the most part, like if you find someone that, you really connect with and you can't see yourself without them, like then is it worth the work to put it in? And I, and I feel like it is. Yeah. And I would also say with time, we also learned to put God first. And I, and that's not something that we really knew or did early on. And that has really changed our relationship as well. You know, like um, it, we've become, I think, you know, so appreciative of each other and just the value and the talent that the other one has and how we do complement each other. Um, so I would say it, it is different for everyone. And I, and I don't think that getting married early is a bad idea, but it's not for everyone either. Right. And, you know, I told Tyler that as he's had girlfriends or relationships, you know, whenever they hit like the three or four month <laughs> mark, you know, I start, you know, I, I asked him like, is this sometimes you have to also be mindful of that other person's feelings and has, you know, like, 
are your goals aligned and you know like how do you feel about each other because if this is someone that you feel like you could see spending your life with what does that look like and just be very forward thinking about that so that you know that you're not wasting each other's time or that you're on the right track I mean it's one thing to be you can be good friends with someone um, but when you're in a relationship there's a certain amount of expectation I think that it's even if it is left unsaid, you just expect that it's going somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, you're you're young, you're married, and you're in school, and mm-hmm. and then your life took an unexpected turn. You touched on it. You were pregnant with Tyler very early, and you it was while you were in school, which and you weren't psychologically ready for it and you're, you're very open about that in the book and then it's like once you adjusted to being a mom early on things changed even more drastically um, can you give listeners just an overview of what happened with your son Tyler around the time he was two years old yes so um, you know I uh I was in college when I had Tyler, and actually he came early, you know, so I think that that really changed my perspective of being a mom, like having him be born at like three pounds and 14 ounces, I was, um, you know, very, it, it made me very aware of the fragility that, that, of that relationship and hmm. that baby's bring you know and I you just expect that everything goes well right especially like you know like I say I was from kind of a sheltered environment and so you just imagine okay you're pregnant you you move on with life and at nine months later you have this baby and then life changes but you don't there's not anything that goes along with that that you have to worry about no risk no illness no anything like that so I think that him coming early was kind of a wake-up call for me Um, and it made me really appreciate having him and that my life would change, but that it was not going to be a bad change because, you know, like he was worth whatever it took. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that's a lot, I think for a young person. And, you know, back then I had lots of friends that age that had babies, not that were in school, but like that had went to high school with me and things like that. You know, it wasn't super uncommon, you know, for you to have kids right out of high school. Um, and, um, and I didn't think that that was necessarily the wrong thing or, but it just, it wasn't what I had planned for me. And so, um, you know, but then having Tyler early and and understanding like my new role as a mom, I loved him more than like anything in this world. And I, uh, decided to do pharmacy school instead of med school because I felt like it would be um, more realistic, like having him and being able to balance things and be successful. Mm-hmm. So um, so I got into pharmacy school and was in my second year and was actually studying oncology at the time. Um, it, we were in our, our oncology block and um, Tyler had uh, – had had like just an accident in the yard where he like stepped on the sprinkler and and, um, his foot swelled up. And then about two weeks later, or maybe a week, a week or so later, I noticed that it was still puffy and the bruising was gone, but like you could feel a little knot in there. It felt like a little rock in his foot. And after testing and all of that, we determined that it was in fact a tumor. And, um, so over the next couple of months, like we had a misdiagnosis that it, it perhaps wasn't cancerous. And so they took it out and then it grew right back and they said it definitely mm. is cancerous and it's growing very quickly. So, wow. um, you know, it was really, that's what kind of started the roller coaster of our journey with childhood cancer. Well, I, can, I can't imagine, um, you know, for those people who have had a child or a close relative suffer with cancer, what you described is probably a very sharp reminder to them of a a lot of emotions they had, you know, going through it. And to people like myself 
who have not yet had to go through that, I imagine it being a place that probably seems hopeless a lot of the time. You know, you probably just feel utterly powerless in the moment, and you probably hated feeling that way, if that's fair to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, at, you know, at any age it's hard, but at that point, you know, when you're a young person, a young adult, you know, you are trying to, like, establish yourself. And, and the thought is that whatever, you know, like, you take action to get a result. So, like, you know, I can do this and this. You know, it's where you're learning. Like, okay, if I make this amount of money, I can make a house payment. Or, you know, like, if I um, study for this amount of time and put in, you know, make note cards and do put in this effort, then the result is I'm going to get a good grade. You know, so you're still kind of learning like that, um, that your action has a, you know, a consequence, you know, Mm -hmm. good or bad. And in this case, it was something that like, I couldn't formulate any plan of action whatsoever that could result in a different consequence. And, that was really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when all this was going on and you're at a point in life where things seem like they're probably in the moment, it just seemed like several times it wasn't going to improve. Um, it can take, you know, a serious toll on the human psyche. It's, it's really common for relationships to experience strain and, you discuss that a little bit in the book, and it's also really common for it to have an effect on one's faith. Um, you talk openly about your faith journey in the book. When you were in those months um, early in parenthood, and you're watching your son be treated for cancer and eventually have an amputation because of it, did you did you experience a crisis of faith in your life? Did you get to a point where you had, you know, anger at God or just anger at the state of the world? Um, yeah, I I definitely, you know, I I grew up um, to kind of give some context that I I definitely grew up in a church environment, so it um, I had to, you know, I felt like I had to believe as a Christian that, you know, God would take care of the situation, that he like had the power to heal Tyler, that, you know, miracles do happen. They happen for other people. Mm -hmm. I, that, you know, the Bible says that if we pray and agree that, you know, people will be healed, that they'll be healed. And so I started to question like, is this happening? Because, I don't have enough faith. Is this happening because hmm. I, it's, I'm being punished for like sins? Am I, yeah. is this happening because, you know, like um, maybe God doesn't care about the details that, you know, like the whole point is that you're just supposed to accept Jesus and you'll go to heaven one day. And like, that's really all that, that matters and everything else just kind of, is, you know, what, what will be, will be. And he doesn't get involved in all the details. And I think that that was really hard for me because I had this like expectation, like, God, I need you to do something. Like I've been brought up to believe that you can do something. Like, why won't you do something? Like, why can't you help me? Like, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, I think that any, you know, that's something that could happen at any age, but especially like being young, that was really hard for me because I felt like I didn't have any, I didn't have anyone that could really give me tangible direction about, you know, why this was happening or what was coming next. And I didn't have anyone to lean on. And I felt like, you know, I should just be able to ask God to fix it and he should fix it. And that didn't seem to be happening and you know especially the day that we had to um, come to grips with you know that Tyler was going to have an amputation it was kind of like um, you know I there was uh, a lot of question is okay well if we do this like there's no going back you know like everything to that point is you know we're doing the chemo and I'm still praying like God can you just heal him and the scans still aren't you know promising and then 
we scheduled the amputation and I'm like, okay, so if I go through with this, you know, does this mean there's no going back? So like I've, mm-hmm. you know, if, if God were going to do something, like he has to do it now, there was like this sense of, of urgency and of doom. Yeah. Um, and I, and I will, and you know, and, and I talk about it in the book, but you know, just to be honest with the listeners, like I really felt like that day that, that God had failed me. Like I just felt so, mm defeated and i i think that we do get that way in the middle of adversity like when we get to our low spot where um you know it's not in it's not inhuman um even as a christian you know oftentimes to feel like when things seem like they can't get any worse to hold on to that um faith or that belief that there has to be a reason for this or that things could get better yeah um April, one one thing I feel very strongly, and this may not have been your experience while you were, you know, going through various things, but I feel like churches today or just religious organizations in general, but more specifically Christian churches, are I feel like sometimes are not honest enough about tough questions regarding faith. You know, when you people get into a a spot like you were in you know, I just feel like asking tough questions about God or tough questions about faith in general is kind of frowned upon. Um, do you feel like that's fair to say, or, or did you have the opposite experience? I I do. So what I'll say is, you know, I've been, we've because we've moved several times, we have been to a lot of different churches. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I I do believe it's likely a challenge for religious organizations to figure out like the balance in, you know, like we're called to bring people in, like your primary purpose must be to get people saved. Mm -hmm. And so I think that because within a church organization, you're going to have people at all different stages. You're going to have people who are new Christians and old Christians or not Christians yet you're going to have people who are in very high points and people who are in their valleys. And so in order to tailor a message, I think to, to resonate with all of them and almost like to make everyone happy, that's definitely not an easy thing. But I do think that the people do need to hear the hard stuff sometimes. Mm -hmm. And some churches do a better job at that than others, for sure. Um, Because I think that they're all good, you know, they all have their own strengths, you know. And what I have found is sometimes I need something different at different points, you know. So um, you you have to, as hard as it is, I had to realize that like I have to take responsibility also for my relationship with God and and have an outlet to where I can um, learn, plug into other resources to really get the education um, about what the Bible says and you know what is the what is really the Christian view on certain things to kind of figure those things out and I and I'll say that, I don't really feel like I've, I got that from one place ever. Um, and I don't really, mm-hmm. I feel like the closer that I get um, to God and really like seeking him and wanting to be sure that like my life is aligned with his purpose and his path for me, the more that I feel like is revealed to me when I do study or when I do listen um, to, you know, whether it's a pastor online or whether it's at my church or, um, whether it's even just worship music and just allowing myself to center and meditate in, Mm -hmm. in God. And, um, and so you're right. I think it's a very difficult thing. And I, I do say that I have been to very few churches where, it does seem like they're having those difficult conversations. Um, I think sometimes people think that it, the hard stuff's going to scare people off. Mm-hmm. I think you know, that's right. That, yeah. Um, that people gravitate to that, like, 
they, they gravitate towards positivity. They want more positivity in their life. And yeah. if you remind people that things aren't always going to be good, then you're some kind of like doomsayer or something. And you know, you're, you're speak, you know, you're speaking that that bad will happen and, and you shouldn't do that. You should all only speak life. But I think we have to also prepare ourselves with kind of a spiritual resilience. And that's really important. Yeah. And you, you know, you were able to overcome, you know, your doubts and, and you talk about that. And I feel like that's commendable. And I, I agree with you. I've taken a lot of the same approach in my life. You know, I try to, I try to have several sources of, you know, material that I feel like feeds my spiritual self. And, you know, when you proverbially put all your eggs in one basket with that, I feel like it's more difficult to get a full picture of, you know, how things are and also what you're looking for as a, as a person. Absolutely. And I would also, um, add that, you know, like, um, people like all people, even if you're in a position as a pastor or, you know, a worship leader or whatever that looks like, we're all just people. So for you to rely on someone like that only as your only source of, uh, being fed spiritually, um, it's risky because they also are human and they're going to go through highs and lows just like you mm-hmm. do. And so if you're relying only on them as your middleman, then, you know, it's a very good chance you're at some point going to end up disappointed. Yeah. And I think it's scary too. Um, you know, just thinking about the idea of being critical about your, your beliefs or faith or whatever it's, you know, it, it's it's something that not a lot of people bring themselves to confront. Um, and I, th- I feel like maybe people just feel like if they open that door that it's some kind of Pandora's box. And I, I agree with you that there has to be some amount of resiliency and you being able to withstand questions and also, you know, challenges to your own beliefs. So I think you summarized that really well. Um, there, there was, I, I want to be conscious of your time, and there, there was one other major issue I wanted to touch on with you. Um, you discussed in the book how important it is to have community with others, and you said that community was one of the things that helped your family get through the toughest times, you know, having those other people there to lean on and share experiences with was a difference maker. Um, you know, in today's world of social media and constant information and communications, it seems like even though we're more connected on paper than we've ever been as a human race, it kind of feels like sometimes we're, we have also never been more isolated. Do you, do you agree with that at all? What do you feel like you know, contributes to that, I guess. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes, um, there is, you know, there's, there's often a lack of authenticity when it comes to social media, um, for a lot of reasons, you know, some, some of that is purposeful because, you know, people want others to have like a certain, view or perspective of them and you know that's understandable um but then other you know and whether that's like in order to gain more friends or whether it's to um you know be admired as an influencer or whatever that looks like but or even to sell a product you know we see that a lot you know there's a a sales component um to the face that uh, people present sometimes Mm -hmm. but I, you know, I would say that while, you know, social media offers um, kind of a conduit for connection to other people, you know, it has to go beyond what is just posted out there for the public because, you know, there are very few people that really, you know, post their the good and the bad and their true feelings and so I think a lot of times we have this impression that 
um, we're not doing as good as other people are, you know, like because you don't see all of the layers. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're only seeing what they are are sharing in that moment. And so, you know, in that moment, they could be sharing a high point, but it could have meant that it took them the last eight hours to get to that high point that day. You know, it could be that they're really having to dig in. And by posting that, that's kind of a mini victory for them to help them get in a positive mindset on their own, you know. So Mm -hmm. sometimes what we see is, is for other people, but sometimes what we see is, for the people who are posting for themselves that, you know, like um, they're trying to put on that positive face they're trying to be stronger. And, um, and then the perception that we get is that, you know, we're not doing quite as well. And so I think you have to give yourself some grace and just remember that what you're seeing is only just the surface, you know, yeah. it's only just a, a, a peak through, you know, the tip of the iceberg that real relationship still has to develop outside of that page. And, you know, like the friends that you have, you know, that are really your friends that know you well, the friends that are supportive of you in your highs and your lows, they're not the ones, you know, I I would venture to say they're not the ones that you only keep up with through their Facebook posts. You know, you're chatting Mm -hmm. with them, you're having phone calls, you're seeing them, Um, you know, and even church sometimes I I think can be similar to that. You know, if you go to a church where there's hundreds of people, there's some of those people you're friendly with and they, and they're encouraging to you and you're encouraging to them, but you know, and that doesn't mean that's not authentic, but they're not the people that you call in a crisis. And I feel like you have to have, um, that lifeline um, there, and I didn't really understand it or appreciate it at the time, but with time, I've really grown to know that that is absolutely something that um, is one of the tools you should really put in your toolbox. Yeah, and, and breaking through the tip of the iceberg and getting to the rest of it is something that's not always easy. Um, you know, my wife and I have found it quite difficult to forge durable quality relationships that are new at this stage in life. You know, when, when you're young and in school and and especially if you don't have a family yet, it's very easy to be social and make friends. And when you work full time and you have a family, it seems like everybody operates in their own silo. You know, it's, it's much more difficult to form lasting bonds with people because your amount of exposure is a lot more limited than, you know, friends, friendships you made early in life. Do you feel like that's fair to say? Yeah, I would say that, um, we have to be more intentional about it now. For yes. sure. Um, yes. I think in, in, you know, yeah, like in school and college, uh, for sure it was, easy because you found a lot of different circumstances that just naturally put you together with those people in times where you didn't have to be together. Like, you know, oh, let's hang out after class and then we'll study later or grab some dinner or whatever. And it was a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, when you have family responsibilities, everyone's family responsibilities tends to be on a different schedule (laughs) or, you know, more depending on how old your kids are, can be more demanding than others. And, um, you know, so you really do have to seek, um, kind of seek out those people with uh, at least some types of uh, commonality that helps get you in the same place at the same time sometimes. You know, um, I know a lot of friends who have found that um, through small group at their church. Uh, They've found it through... Um, you know, like oh, some of my dearest friends I've made through nonprofit stuff that we did together. Um, so through charitable work, you know, just connecting with people who have the same interests and passions mm-hmm. that you do. For some people, um, I have friends, you know, that, that really have a love of, of music or play music. And, you know, they've connected with other people and those types of scenes. Um so, you know, I think that we do have to try harder for sure. Yes. Um, and then it takes a certain amount, like to make the friendship, 
is one step, but then to also kind of garden it is another. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And that key word that you used, being intentional about it, is I think sums it up 100% for right now because, you know, it's it's about making time for community and and it's that seems like the way to go with it. Um, well, you know, like life comes at us and it's never done coming at us. You know, one thing I enjoy all at all times is trying my best to keep perspective on where we are in the moment. And that's one thing I felt like was really valuable with your book. It, it helps demonstrate the message that, you know, no matter how hard we feel like our problems are in the moment, it may end up being more difficult um, you know, just life in general is struggle and how, how we respond to it and what we choose to do with it are entirely up to us. And that's the main takeaway from no mess, no message. Um, April, will yeah, you ta- I think go ahead. I was going to say that, you know, when you, when we talk about perspective, you know, one, I think, one of the things that I've learned, so if I think about the way that I maybe would have approached listening to someone else's opinion about my business, I guess, right? Like, um, you know, a lot of times there kind of is, especially when you feel hurt or feel like you're struggling and you're not sure what to do next, it's very easy to be like, you know, well, this is a difficult situation for me. You can't possibly understand what I'm going through. So, you know, it's really none of your business or, you know, like your pers- your opinion doesn't really mean anything because you don't understand, Mm -hmm. you know, so your perspective isn't valuable. But what I have found is even though I don't necessarily like share my business with everyone, well, I do in my book, but (laughs) (laughs) from a day to day, I don't necessarily, you know, always share what's going on with me with everyone. I have found that, really reaching out to friends that have different experiences than me or are maybe in a different place in life than me um, to hear what they would think or what they would do if they were in my situation. I know that I don't have to do whatever they do, you know, whatever they say. Um, and, I, and I usually only reserve that for people that I feel like aren't super judgy or aren't gossipy. But hearing a different perspective is can be so helpful just because it reminds you that, you know, the way that we tend to see things sometimes is we can get inside our head and when, and that someone else might look at it a completely different way and we can start to at least get out of that box and, and try to piece things together a little bit differently to see either the positives in the situation or perhaps a different solution that we haven't thought of yet. April, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, will you tell our listeners how to find your work on social media or online? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so you can find, um, you can connect with me more on uh, my website is actually www.thedrifteddrum.com. Um, we like to call it the business of encouragement. It is um, the brand that I formed with uh, my son, Tyler, who's the cancer survivor, um, he has an apparel line on there. You can get no mess, no message gifts and shirts. Um, we sign up for my newsletter. We, I do an, you know, an, an, an encouraging newsletter, uh, inspirational. And then also you can send me prayer requests or praise reports. I, uh, and I like to share those as I get them. And then, um, you can also order a signed copy of my book there. Um, my book. Yeah. And my book is also, it's on, um, pretty much anywhere you can get books. It's on, uh, barnesandnoble.com, books a million, Amazon, Apple, Kindle, you know, wherever, walmart.com target. And then um, I also have an Audible version. So it's on Apple Audible and then Amazon Audible as well. Um, My Instagram page, um, if you like, uh, if you do like social media, (laughs) my Instagram page is actually at livebeautiful underscore Dr. Mom. 
And then my son, Tyler, if you are interested in what he's doing, he is, um, as I mentioned, an amputee, but is a uh, internationally uh, medaled athlete. He runs track and field. That's awesome. He has all kinds of adventures. Yeah, he always posts. <laughs> he posts his adventures on social media. And uh, his is at Tyler G. Jonesy. Jones with a Y at the end at Tyler G. Jonesy. And um, and then we have a company Instagram page at The Drifted Drum. Um, I, I have a Twitter page, but I haven't really gotten good at that yet. I'm not very intentional <laughs> about my Twitter. <laughs> uh, but I hear, you know, like we're supposed to be getting on board. Lots of people that I interact with are, are starting to pick it up. And I was like, after all this time, like <laughs> I yeah. thought Twitter was going to die out and go away. But it is here to stay, apparently. Yeah. It's hard to do all of it, you know, up, upkeep this and that account. And so I imagine that's probably a hassle at some point. Yes. And I actually do have a no mess, no message group page on Facebook. Um, so if you wanted to join, you could definitely request to be a member on no mess, no message group page. It's really about other people sharing their stories of, of, um, overcoming adversity and, um, and praise reports. So, uh, that group is growing and it's really a blessing to me. Um, that's, you know, one of my main goals in writing my book was, that it's not just about me like we have stories of success all over the place but as you mentioned you know like connection isn't necessarily deep connection these days even though we have lots of ways to connect and it really blesses me and encourages me to hear other people share their stories of what they have went through and and how god has brought them through well april thanks so much for your time today it's been really great to talk to you and um I hope you have a good rest of your week. Thank you. Same here. Always a pleasure, JP.